Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. We thank you what you're doing in our lives. It's just good to be here today, a beautiful day outside, a great day to come and just worship you, to be in your presence, to be in your word. And today, Lord, we come and talk to such an important topic, a topic of temptation, a strategy the enemy uses to get us to do what we know is wrong in order to destroy ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes today to see perhaps some new things that we've never seen before, exactly how this process works, what's at stake, how, how he works us, and, and what we need to do to, to win. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's one of the biggest mistakes of his life, but it's not one that is well known as some of his other more famous mistakes. Uh, one day he would become the most famous king in Israel's history. Uh, history would look back on him and say he was the greatest king of all, and and rightly so. He, he ruled long and well. And at the end of his life, though, the success began to go to his head. God had been with him in his battles. God had been with him in his politics. And, and so he'd risen to the top. And, and yet towards the end of his life, he began to take credit for that. It was something that he had done. It was something that was all about him. And so on that fateful day, he invited in his top commander of all his armies. And he said, I want to take a census. I want to know exactly how many men are in my army? I want to know exactly how great I've become. And his commander looks at him and says, you know, I don't think this is a, such a good idea. It may be a different time, a different place, a different reason. It'd be okay, you needed to know. But he could sense that in his king's heart that this was coming out of arrogance, was coming out of pride, and there was going to be hell to pay, that this was not a spiritually good thing to be doing. But David wasn't listening. He wasn't open to listening, and so he said, no, I want the census to be taken. And so the command went out, and it took a long time because, you know, it's back a long time ago. They didn't have emails and all that sort of thing. And so it took them 10 months to take this census, to go through the whole nation, to to find the armies, because they're not standing armies at certain bases. You have to go out in the fields and so on, count the men. After 10 months, the, the report comes back in. David's there one day. The report comes in. He reads the scroll. There's over a million men in his army. My guess is that for a moment, he felt really great about that. Look what he'd achieved. Look what he'd accomplished. And then all of a second, in just the, the flip of a switch, he realized what a huge mistake he'd made. And so right away, he went to the Lord. He went to prayer, and he said, God, I've just blown it. I'm wrong. This I should never have done. This was flown out of my arrogance. This was stupid. Would you forgive me? That night he went to bed. The next morning he wakes up and one of his servants comes in and says, hey, there's a prophet here. He'd like to speak to you. Which one? It's prophet Gad and he's got a message for you. And Gad comes in and says, David, God woke me up this morning. He's got a message for you. There's some good news and some bad news. The good news is that God heard your prayer yesterday. He's going to forgive you. It's not going to be like your predecessor, King Saul, who lost his whole kingdom or lost his life. And God's not going to take that away from you. But the bad news is there's going to be some serious consequences for your arrogance. In fact, he, he's given me three options. he got door number one, door number two, door number three. They're all bad news. But let me lay them out for you. So door number one is that you'll be fighting against your enemies, all these surrounding nations you've conquered and they hate you. For the next three months, when you go to battle, God's not going to be with you. And this time you're not going to win. Door number two is that the next three years, 
you're going to have a famine in your land. The whole land's going to be ravaged by famine. Door number three is there's going to be a wasting disease, a plague that comes upon the nation. It's going to last for three days. So David takes some time to think about it, and he comes back. He says, I want to go with door number three. I'd rather fall into God's hands for three days than into my enemy's hands for three months. And so sure enough, not very long after that, the plague began. It began to move through the country. In the next three days, 70,000 men from his army would die. As the plague's moving towards Jerusalem, David and his top leaders are outside the city. They have sackcloth on. They're praying for God for mercy on the capital city. And all of a sudden, it's one of those moments, very few moments happen like this in the Bible where the veil is torn back between the seen world and the unseen world, and they look up, and one of his men sees it first, and he says, look, and they all look, and up in the sky, north of Jerusalem, hovering there right above the city, just north of the city, was an angel. He had his sword drawn. It was pointed towards Jerusalem. He was ready to unleash the plague. When they saw him, they all went face down. They were scared to death. A standard operating procedure in the Bible when you see an angel. Fearsome creatures. They go face down, and, and as you're there, the angel's up there, and God speaks to the angel. He hears a loud voice in heaven, and the, the voice says, stop, it's enough. God had taken all he had seen all he could. All the destruction was breaking his heart. The angel put his sword away. He's still hovering there, and David begins to pray. He says, God, would you, would you please just forgive me? He said, this is not the people's fault. It's not them. It, what's not about them is me. If there's any more punishment, take it out of me. Take it out of my family, but don't put it on the people. And God spoke to the prophet Gad. Gad gave him the message. He said, God just heard you, David. And he said, what you need to do is right now, you need to go and you need to do a sacrifice right below where that angel is hovering. And so he rushed to that place. He bought the land, slaughtered the oxen there, offered the sacrifice, and the plague passed. Today we're continuing the series that we've been in now for the last three weeks. It's called The War, the story behind the story. And as far-fetched as it might seem to our modern ears or modern minds, that Jesus in the New Testament is absolutely clear that you and I are in the midst of a spiritual war. It's a battle that's gone on since the beginning of time. And it's with an enemy who's brilliant, who's strategic, who's powerful, and is out to destroy us. And so every week in this series, we've been going behind the scenes to understand more about this war, how it got started, who the enemy is, what his tactics are, what it takes to win. And if you've been here the last three weeks, so the first week we, we talked about the backstory to this war, the history the players, the plot. The next week we talked about the stakes in this war. What would Satan do if he had his way in your life? When we follow him, what happens to us? Last week we began to talk about his strategies to take us down. We talked about spiritual warfare at the highest level, the, the level of our minds. If he can control the way a culture thinks, he controls the culture. Today we're moving on to strategies part two. We're going to talk about temptation. Temptation happens when there's something that we know there's, that we should not be doing, and yet there's a pull towards it, and the enemy comes and encourages us in that direction so that we will destroy our own lives. That's what I mean by temptation. 
And so today we're going to start off with a passage of the New Testament. We're going to be using our Bibles uh, a lot, jumping around today. And so if you're new at this, I'd really encourage you to go to the table of contents at the front, find that, and so you can kind of flip around quickly. If you don't have a Bible, look on with someone who does. But we're going to go to 1 Peter in the New Testament, uh, chapter 2, and start there. First Peter chapter 2, now Peter is writing to a group of Christ's followers. They, they had once followed Satan. They'd once been part of this world's system. And they'd become Christ followers. And as we saw last week, that when we make that decision to follow Jesus, we step out of this world into his kingdom. And it's part of his movement. We're no, longer, uh, we're no longer at home here. We're strangers here. We're aliens here. We're visitors here. Uh, we're part of his new movement. And so... Uh, Peter writes and says in verse 11, 211, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain, to hold back from sinful desires, so harmful, uh, evil, uh, destructive desires. Now catch this, you might want to underline this, which wage war against your soul. So here's what I want you to catch. That as followers of Jesus that we have stepped out of this world, we become part of his movement, part of his kingdom. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we still have within us some of the old desires that we've inherited from the fall. These, these desires, Peter says, are destructive. They actually wage war. We're talking about spiritual battle, right? They wage war against your soul, against your true self. There are certain desires that you will have in your life. You might have some now. You might have them later. That there will be desires to do things that if you pursue them, they will destroy your true self. You see, they wage war against your soul. And so Peter says you have to learn to abstain from them. And that's what we want to talk about today. How do we abstain when the enemy comes knocking and says, no, go for it. This will make life better. Uh, how do we abstain from that? How do we fight this battle so we don't self-destruct? So there in your note sheet, there's a section. It's called Temptation 101, Staying Away from Self-Destruction. And what I want to do today is I want to make five big picture statements, um, five steps, if you will, that we need to take in order to avoid this self-destruction that Peter warns us of, this war that, that the desires at war against our soul. And so let's just jump in. Number one, okay, so five steps. The first thing we need to do whenever we're facing temptation, by the way, has anyone ever faced temptation in their life? Just want to know who I'm talking to. Great. Several of you have it. I'll let you come up and teach in a couple minutes because I'm almost done. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so we, we understand that, Paul, though. I mean, it's just a killer. And sometimes temptation is minor, and sometimes it's major, and it's huge, and you feel like you're going to lose your life if you don't pursue this thing. It can be all-encompassing, uh, uh, just a passionate thing. So when we face it, what do we do? Well, number one, we need to always look for the lie. This is where we need to start today. One thing we're going to learn today is that temptation is always based on a lie. Now, did I just say always? Okay, I chose the word carefully. It is always based on a lie. And here's the lie. The lie is, if you do this, you will be happy. Okay, that's the lie. Now, it comes in every way. If you do this, you'll be happier. If you do this, it's the best way out of this jam. If you do this, it's, life will be better, you know, whatever. But, but basically, if you do this, 
you will be happy. That's the temptation, and it's always there, embedded in every temptation. Now, this is a, a temptation, that's, this is a strategy that Satan's been using since the beginning of time. Think with me back to the garden, first man, first woman, Adam and Eve. Uh, so they're there, Satan comes to them in the garden, and he says, hey, so what, what, did, uh, what, did, what were the instructions you received about your conduct in the garden? And, and so Eve says, well, hey, it's really cool. We can actually do pretty much whatever we want. Um, we can eat whatever we want, all these trees. We can eat them all. There's, it's just like, you know, you can everything you want, no Weight Watchers. I mean, it's just amazing. And, um, and so he said, but there is this one, one rule um, that we can't eat from this one tree. There's just, all the trees, but just not this one tree. Because if we eat it, uh, God says that we will die. He gave us a warning about this. And, and what does Satan say? He says, oh, that's not true. That's not true. You, you know you're not going to die? Um, God's not looking out for your best interests. Um, he's not trying to protect you. He's trying to restrict you. You see? But the truth is, if you eat of this, life will be better. You're going to be like God. Okay? Now, this is the lie that's within every temptation. That God is out to restrict you in your life. And so when he says don't do something, he's out to hold you down. He's not looking out for your best interest. That he's out to restrict you, not to protect you. And, and it's just part of every lie. Now, this is what Satan has mastered. And so in the New Testament, Jesus talks about this strategy in Satan, that Satan uses. And I want you to turn to a real powerful passage. It's in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, New Testament. So Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day, like the pastors of the day. And you'll see in this passage why he never wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. <clears throat> so remember, he's talking to the pastors. It's a ministerial association, <laughs> So he says, now he knows they're out to kill him. He knows they want to kill him. And, and so Jesus just goes right after it. And uh, he says, uh, hey, I know you want to kill me, so let me talk to you about that. Verse 44, he says, you belong to your father, the devil. Sorry, 44. Yeah, you get ready? Remember, talking to the pastors, you belong to your father, the devil. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came today? You know, it's like how, how to irritate people. So good at it. Hey, you belong to your father, the devil. Man, he's just going after them. And he says, you, you, you're, you're not children of God. You think you're children of God. You're children of Satan. He says, you want to carry out your father's desire. Because he was a murderer from the beginning. We just saw that in Genesis. He, he tempted them so they would destroy, kill the race. He was a murderer from the beginning. But here we go. Here's the part. Not holding to the truth, <clears throat> for there is no truth in him. Now catch that. There is absolutely no truth in him. And when he lies, <clears throat> he speaks his native language. It's his mother tongue. For he is a liar. And catch this, he's the father, the source of all lies. Let me ask you this. It is impossible for Satan to tell the truth except in the service of a greater lie. Satan will almost always throw some truth into the lie. That's why we go for the lie, you see. So they'll, he'll always use truth, but it's, it's truth in service of a greater lie. 
And so what this means in your life and my life is when we're in times of temptation, especially in times of significant major temptation, the question that we need to be asking is always, where is the lie? Where is the lie? We just have to get really good at being like lie detectors, you know. Where is the lie? I, I like to use the analogy of fishing. You know, the, the poor little fish, he's going after the bait. The bait is the temptation. The hook is the lie. And within every temptation, there's always a hook. And it doesn't really matter what it is. Hey, you're not happy in your marriage? Pursue that woman at your office. Uh, you're in a jam? Tell the lie. They hurt you, get them back. You know, hey, just go ahead and buy it. We'll figure out how to pay for it later. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Um, (laughs) uh, But there's always a hook, right? There's always a hook. And so we have to become, as if we're going to win this war, we have to become really good at saying, where's the hook? It's always there. It's it's always there. Okay, number two. The second, second step we need to take is we need to learn our weaknesses. Let me ask you a question. If you were to fall, if you were to fall away and, and to lose a spiritual battle, what is the most likely way that Satan could bring you down? Do you know? You know, do you know if I were to ask you, put you aside, one on one, say, hey, could you tell, if Satan's going to bring you down, what is his most effective way to do it? Is it discouragement? Is it, uh, is it a particular temptation? Is it, is it greed? Is it sex? Is it lack of truth-telling? Is it, like, what, what, if he's going to bring you down, what is it? The question is, could you answer that question? We need to know. You need to know what your, what your weaknesses are. Because here's the reality. Satan is very strategic. Remember, remember I talk about this. Every week I start, start this, this series, and it's on purpose. I start off and say, we have an enemy that he's brilliant, he's powerful, and he's strategic. And you know what I mean by that? Is that he doesn't waste time tempting you in areas you're not vulnerable, or at times when you're not vulnerable. He will only tempt you in areas you, he sees a weakness, and when you are weak. See, and he will come after you. So the question is, in your life, do you know yourself? Where would you fall? You need to, come, you need to get, get in touch with that. Um, today we started, the, we started the teaching with uh, the story of David. So this is a great classic uh, example of how, st- how, how uh, strategic Satan is. So David is riding high. It's at the end of his military career. He's been reigning now a long time. He's got peace. God's blessed him every step of the way. Can I tell you there are two times in life when we are most vulnerable to attack? Let me tell you when they are. Number one is during times of weakness, like you're just tired, you're exhausted, you're discouraged, you're depressed, right? Times of weakness. The other times in times of great strength. When you're times of su- you're successful, you are riding high. In times that it, go- it tends to go to our head. And so we tend to start making bad decisions because of our arrogance. And this is what happened to David. He was riding high. He was plump. He, he, was, he, was, he was ready to be picked off. And Satan saw the vulnerability and went after it. And so the idea comes, hey, I need, to, I need to number my army. Now, God had sent his Joab, his general, to be an accountability partner and to tell him, don't do that. That's a stupid idea. 
But when you get to that place, you're so successful, you often don't listen to your wise counsel because you think you're the smartest. And that's what David did. And so what he did is he went ahead, he did it, you know the story, 70,000 people died. Now, here's a very interesting thing. You look at that, and on the surface you say, well, isn't that just a bad decision he made? I mean, why does Satan have to be involved in that? Are you sure it was Satan? Maybe it was just his own pride. But it's very interesting, because in the Bible, this story is told twice, not once, but twice. And in one of those locations, in 1 Chronicles 21, here's how the story starts. And I want you to notice it there in your note sheet. Here's how the story starts. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. You see that? This, wasn't, this was more than what it looked like on the surface. That it wasn't just David having a bad idea. It was Satan taking advantage of his weakness. And so Satan incites him hey, you need to do this. This would be a great idea. And now why did Satan want to do it? Because he wanted to take down the whole nation. And Satan knows if there's a way to take down a church, if there's a way to take down a nation, if there's a way to ch- take down a whole school, it's, you go for the leader, right? And so he, so he realizes he can't get at David because God is protecting David. You see, wherever David goes, God's with him. He can't destroy the nation through the nation. And so Satan decides to do an end run. Okay, I will destroy the nation by destroying the leader. And if, if, if God's going to protect him, I'll make, I'll, I'll, I'll make him make a bad choice so God's no longer protecting him, so that God has to discipline him. So I can get to the nation through the weakness of the leader. Does this make sense? Okay, so, so you see, in your life, Satan is incredibly strategic. He's not going to waste time tempting you in areas you are not weak or at times when you are not vulnerable. But what this means is that you need to know yourself and you need to know your times of vulnerability. And you need to know what those areas of vulnerability are. And we need to fight the battle with that in mind. Let me give you a couple of quotes. There in your note sheet, you have a quote from John Maxwell's book, uh, Failing Forward. And he talks about uh, this sort of thing. He says, uh, beware of recurring issues in your life. You may find your Achilles heel. By the way, the Achilles of ancient Greek myth was a warrior who was totally indestructible except for one tiny spot on his heel. And that one flaw allowed his complete destruction. That's the way flaws work, so don't mentally minimize the amount of damage that a weakness may create. So what is your Achilles heel? If you're going to fall, where is it? You need to know. The best you can, you need to put some thought into this. You need to pray about this. Um, uh, James Dobson, you know, you focus on family uh, fame. Um, Years ago, probably 15 years ago, I cut out just a little article. He talked about spiritual warfare. And he talked about in his own life and an area that he was uh, feeling a weakness at the time. It was in the area of greed. And there was a certain automobile he wanted, shouldn't be, couldn't afford, whatever. And, he, so, and so he, he just wrote on this issue. Um, and, and I put this there on your note sheet. But I want you to catch the principle because he's just, he's just right on the mark in this. He says, uh, in my case, a new automobile was the perfect enticement to unleash my greed. But if illicit sex is your desire, it will eventually be made available. Don't be surprised when you're beckoned by a willing partner. 
If your passion is for fame or power, that object of lust will be promised even if never delivered. Remember that Jesus was offered bread following his 40 days in the wilderness. My point is that Satan uses our keenest appetites to destroy us. Have you ever thought about Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days, first temptation at the end of the 40 days? Hey, turn the stones into bread. Why? Because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. It's not coincidence. Hey, here's a temptation. I'll try this one. He sees a point of vulnerability, you see, and this is how it always works. Then you know, Peter puts it this way. Be, be self-controlled. Be alert. You know, on your guard. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So here's my question for you. What's your Achilles heel? What's your Achilles heel in your life? If he's going to get you, where is it going to come? And then you have people around you who know your Achilles heel. You've shared your Achilles heel. Watch with me for my Achilles heel, you see. We need to know. We need to become students of ourselves. Okay, number three. The third step is we need to watch for God's way out. Now, one of Satan's lies in your life and mine is that when you're facing temptation, especially if it's a major temptation, is that you're pretty much on your own. It's just you and him. It's one-on-one, Satan versus you, which can feel pretty overwhelming. And so, hey, you're in this thing, you're in this thing by yourself, and that is a lie. The truth of the matter is, is if you're a follower of Jesus, that his Holy Spirit has come into your life to be your life coach, your mentor in life. And so when you are facing temptation, you are not alone. There is one who is with you to show you the way out, to kind of say, follow me, here's the way out, right? It's like a guide. Uh, imagine yourself in a burning building. A fireman comes and says, follow me. I'll show you the door out. Okay? That's the Holy Spirit's role, to show us out, the way out. We're not alone. Now, there's a great passage in the New Testament that teaches on this, and I want you to turn there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, one of those famous verses on temptation in the Bible. Um, there's three powerful statements that are made about temptation, how it works, three lies that it counteracts from the enemy. First Corinthians 10:13. Okay, so uh, truth number one: no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. What's the enemy's first lie? Hey, this temptation you're facing. Um, it, it's just unusual. Like, no one really understands. No one's gonna, if you share it with anyone, no one's really going to understand this. It's like, this is unique to you. Of course, if he can convince us that it's unique, then he can, it's only a step away from saying, since no one understands, even God to understand if you, don't, if you don't stand up to it. No one could be really expected to stand up to this temptation. It's so powerful. It's so unique. So truth number one that, that Paul says is, no, there's, there's whatever temptation you're facing, people have been there, done that. This old news. Uh, others have been there. God's helped them too. All right. Okay, next statement. Uh, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you will bear. So Satan always comes. One of his lies is, hey, you may resist this today. You may resist this tomorrow. You may resist this the next day. But sooner or later, you're going to give in. So you might as well give in now. Save yourself the trouble. And so 
the truth of the matter is, God, no, no, God knows how much you can take. Now, I got to tell you, what you, can, what you think you can take and what God thinks you can take are often different. You are often capable of far more than you realize. But the promise is God is faithful. He will not leave you out there on a limb that he will not push you beyond your ability. Okay? Number three, though, here's the truth that we're looking for in this passage. Number three, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Notice that, a way out so that you can stand up under it. Okay? Now, now who provides the way out? God, let me ask you again. Who provides the way out? God. He provides the way out. It's an extremely important principle. That when you're in the midst of temptation, you're in the building, the building's burning, it's coming out. There is one and one alone who can lead you out. And he promises he will meet you in the fire and he will show you the way out. Now this is amazing. In other words, we are not on our own. That if we're willing to listen, he will say, follow me, here's the way out. Now, what does that look like? Well, I jotted down just quickly six examples of like what it looks like. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more. But here's like six things that came to my mind right away. Just some of the ways out that the Holy Spirit may come. Now, it's a different way for every situation. It's not like there's one way for every situation. So that's why we have to listen to our coach, you know, what to do. But let me give you just like six examples real quickly. I don't expect you to write these down, though I know some of you will try. Okay. Um, so number uh, first way would be, I would just call it supernatural deliverance. You're facing some kind of huge deal and big temptation. God help me, and he just does. He steps in, and he changes your heart right there, and then he takes away the desire for what's wrong. Uh, you've probably known someone who maybe when they came to Christ and they were addicted to this or addicted to that, it's just the moment they came to Christ, it just they left. You've probably heard stories like that. Uh, uh, maybe a time in your life you're praying for someone, you just have this hatred in your heart for something they did. And you're asking, God, help me. And all of a sudden, he touches your heart and the bitterness is gone and love is there. It happens sometimes. It doesn't normally happen. This would be my preferred operating system if I, if I had a say. But it doesn't normally work that way. But it does happen sometimes. Okay, so that's number one. A second way that, that he shows us out is sometimes he shows us a new spiritual truth that just releases power in our life. Uh, you probably experience this if you walk with Jesus for any length of time. Um, I remember at one point in my life, I went through seven years. I call them the seven dark years, horrible years, uh, doubt, depression, failure, uh, could not overcome sin, could not overcome temptation, worked really hard at it to follow Jesus, came to the end of that time saying, I'm done, I'm out, I can't do this, I'm a failure, I cannot, I cannot win. And at that point, God showed up in a powerful way in my life, and he showed me this truth. And it's an amazing truth. And it's, it's not really one you can just kind of, kind of communicate to someone else. It's like God's got to show each of us our own truths you know, at the right time. But the truth was, Mike, you've looked at this whole Christian life as it's about you. Like, I set the bar, you jump to it. You discipline yourself. It's all about you and your self-effort and your willpower. It's not about you. You never can fulfill, you can never be what I need you to be in your own strength. You need to learn to trust me and rely on me and let my spirit live his life in you and through you and change you from the inside out. And it changed my life. And everything that's, that's happened in my life since then goes back to that truth. That it's not about me, it's about Christ in me. It's about being changed from the inside out. That's why you hear it all the time. Because it's like a foundational thing of, of my life. And it was a life-changing truth that came after seven years of struggling with temptation. You know, powerful. 
So sometimes a certain truth in an area. I had a lady come up last night uh, that talked to me about an area of temptation in her life. And there was something I said in a sermon three weeks ago in a verse I pointed out that just lights went on and and that temptation she's been struggling with for years. Just she said, for the last 60 days, I've been clean from that. And so that truth just went on and boom, and, and there it was. A third, a third way that sometimes the Holy Spirit works is uh, he's going to say, hey, to beat this particular temptation, you need to spend more time with me. Uh, you need to spend more time in my word. You just need to spend time in prayer. We need to have a stronger connection. Uh, you need to maybe memorize some verses, maybe some fasting involved. You need to draw close to me to get the power you need, and that may be the way out. Uh, Jesus, the night that he's arrested, he tells his disciples, hey, Something bad's coming. You need to pray so you don't fall into temptation. They didn't listen. They fell into temptation. That was their way out. He gave it. They didn't take it. Number four, a fourth example is that sometimes the way out is to share our struggle with a trusted friend. That there's something that powerful that happens that says, man, I'm struggling in this area. Can I just be sure honestly with you? And as we support and encourage one another, there's a, a powerful thing that happens. And and so, and there's, there's wise counsel that comes, and that's the way out. A fifth example um, is sometimes the Holy Spirit will give you a specific assignment in your life. You're struggling with bitterness, and God, and God says, I want you to make a Christmas basket and take over to their house and just say, thank you for being my neighbor. <laughs> you know? And it's like, really? I hate this person. Yeah, this is the way out. You need to start praying for them, and you need to do good to those who hurt you. And that's your way out. And sometimes have a specific action. He says, this is your way out. A sixth example. This is one of the most common ways. In the New Testament, one of the most common verses about dealing with temptation is to flee from temptation. I call it the run, forest, run principle of the New Testament. There's times where we're like, oh, God, would you save me in the midst of this? I'm just struggling so much. And he's saying, run. We're going, no, I don't want to run. Just could you save me in the midst of this? No, you need to run. No, no, I don't want to run. I want to be here. But I want you to take the desire away here. No, no. You see, and there's times where I just flee. Like, for example, flee sexual immorality. Flee greed. There's several places you just need to run. That God's not going to save you in the midst of it. The way out is to run. So, so the young couple that's working on the whole sexual purity thing and, and God may say, hey, the Holy Spirit may say, hey, the way out is you can't stay at each other's house past 11 o'clock, or you can't be in each other's apartment alone. You can't go out on that drive to that lonely mountain thing and then pray for God's protection, you see? <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> I just had more time. Um, uh, some of you, hey, Mike, I struggle with this. I, I spend too much money. I've got like a shopping addiction. God's way out for you may be hey, you can't go to the mall anymore. Seriously. Uh, you can't go to Home Depot without a buddy. <laughs> it's like, you know, and make sure he's not addicted too, you know. Uh, I got my buddy. We got two chainsaws. Um, <laughs> it's so good. It was two for the price of one. Um, if you're struggling with pornography, you might have to get rid of that cable package you have, or you might have to put your, your computer in the middle of the room, or uh, you might have to get some kind of a, a you know, screen uh, thing on your, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're at your job, and you find yourself uh, having chemistry with a fellow co-worker, the opposite sex, and, 
And, and it's like you, you need, you, the, the solution may be you can't pursue a friendship with that person. You can't just say it's just business, it's just work. It's, you see what I'm saying? And so, so here's the deal. Is that, but here's the big principle I want you to catch is that when we're facing temptation, you are not alone. You have a life coach, and he will show you the way out. Now, of course, we have to be willing to take it. And that leads to number four. Number four. Number four is we need to submit to God and take a stand. Now, for this one, we need to go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, New Testament, and verse 7. Very famous verse on dealing with Satan, dealing with temptation. Four seven. Now, in this passage, he's going to give us a three-step process of dealing with temptation. It's really like two steps and a result. Um, four seven. Okay, good. I think you're all done. Four seven. Here we go. Submit yourselves to God. That's step number one. If you want to beat temptation in your life, you have to submit yourselves to God. It's impossible to win spiritual warfare if you're not submitted to your commanding officer, right? And this is what we often do. We often play around with temptation. We're not really submitted to Jesus in, in our life, but we're still praying for God to help us to avoid the te- to, to win the temptation. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Satan is way too powerful for you. That if you're going to win, you have to have Christ in you leading the way. You have to be submitted to his leadership in your life. So first step is that. There you know, I put a great quote from uh, Peter Wagner in his book on warfare prayer. He says, in the first century society, when the New Testament was written, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that a Lord was to be obeyed without question. Now, we, we say Jesus is... Lord, okay? So we, we say it almost becomes a trite phrase. What he's saying is the New Testament, when it says Jesus is Lord, I mean, you just understand what a Lord was. Right? You, you obey. Christians who are not ready to obey God unconditionally, we're not really sold out, are no more ready for spiritual warfare than Marines who are not ready to obey their commanding officers. You see, it's just we're, we're not ready for the battle. So the first step is submit. So, so, for example, in the last uh, point, I said, okay, so, so God may say, uh, take the gift basket to your neighbor. Get rid of the computer. Uh, here's the way out. Don't go to lonely roads and then pray for my protection. Uh, so here's the way out. And now the question is, well, are we submitted to follow his direction? That's the issue. Often what we ask is, God, no, I, would you save me from this temptation, but I don't want to follow your instructions. I want, we just, we love being out there on that lonely road at night, and the stars are so pretty, and there's no one, so we have such great conversations, and I don't, and I don't want to lose that. So I appreciate your advice, but if you could, I would just like you to, to save me in the midst of that and take away the wrong desires that I have so we could still be out there. You see, so we're kind of dictating our own terms, you see, so we're not really submitted to his leadership, and yet we're asking for his help with temptation. So the first step is submit. Now, then he goes on, and he says, submit yourselves to God, and then resist the devil. Okay, so 
resist his temptations, and then catch this, he says that he will flee from you. So submit to God's first. Don't try to resist the devil until you've submitted. It never works. But you submit to God first, then you resist the devil, then he'll flee from you. Okay, now, here's a problem. I think for many of us, we read a verse like that, and here's what we think it means. We're tempted in areas. We say, Satan, get behind me in the name of Jesus. That was good. That felt good. Pretty much done. I don't know about you. Have you ever noticed it doesn't work real well? It doesn't work. And the reason is we often misinterpret what James is saying here. When he says resist the devil, he doesn't mean like one like, out of here, Satan. He means we've got to show Satan we mean business, that we are submitted to God. We're not going your direction. Let let me give you an an illustration. Uh, Jesus, he's baptized. First assignment, Holy Spirit comes out of him. First assignment, go into the wilderness and to uh, do spiritual warfare for the next 40 days. We're told in the Gospel of Mark that he was being tempted for 40 days. So apparently it was 40 days of temptation. Now catch this. The Son of God going through 40 days of resistance. The final temptation comes, I like to call it the grand finale, like the fireworks, you know. The grand finale comes on the last day, the three major temptations that are recorded in the Gospels for us. At the end of the last of those three temptations, Jesus says, Away from me, Satan. And we're told that Satan leaves. In fact, there in your note sheet, look how Luke puts it. In Luke chapter 4, he says, When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him for a, catch this, a more what? A more opportune time. Can, can I tell you what's going on here? For 40 days, Satan, uh, Jesus is saying no. And finally, at the end of the 40th day, he says, absolutely not The word says, serve the Lord and follow him only. I'm not following you. And Satan goes, this guy is serious. He is submitted to God. Okay, I'm wasting my time here. I've got limited time. I've got limited resources. I cannot invest it at this time. And so he flees. He leaves for a more opportune time. This is not the time. You see? This is what James is saying. You resist Satan, and when he sees, at the point he sees you're serious, he's going to stop. But until we are serious, he sees, as long as we're still playing with it, as long as we're still considering it, he's like, he could still make a sale, right? Uh, Let me tell you a story. So last weekend, Lynn and I, uh, we go to the Simi Mall. I call up Sunday night. How late are you open, Cinnabons? And they said, uh, we're up until 7 o'clock. Great, I've got time to get there. And so, uh, uh, so, so Lynn and I go to Cinnabon's and we, we get it and he rips me off. And that's another story. But anyway, um, I don't have time for that. Anyway, uh, so we're out there. We're seeing our Cinnabon's. It's now 5 after 7. The whole mall is closing down. Everything closed down at 7. And, but it's still beautiful. The lights are on and, and there's a few stores open. And so we get done and we're just enjoying it. It's just a leisurely time, just hanging out, having a good time. And so he said, okay, let's just, let's just go walk. Now, if you've been to the Simi Mall, it's an outdoor mall. You walk down the center of the mall, uh, and it's, just, it's kind of beautiful, all the lights and all. So let's just go for a walk. So we're in a very leisurely mode, just kind of strolling down the center. Now, to understand this story, you have to know a little bit about me, that I'm sort of like a salesman's worst nightmare, that when it comes to money, 
I'm pretty good with money. I, I'm, I'm not really, I'm, I'm like not an impulse buyer at all. The stories in our family are legendary about this. You know, like when our first daughter was born, babies of America come out and do their pictures. Um, I told him I didn't want to buy anything. They wouldn't believe me. His last line is, if you don't buy these pictures, we're going to have to burn them. <laughs> I said, do what you need to do. You know, it's just like, that's just the way I'm wired. You know, it's like, if I don't want it, I'm not, you're not getting me there. And so you have to understand that. So Lynn's lived with me, what, 31 years. So, so we're walking down, and, and we're walking down, and all of a sudden, out of the middle kiosk, this one lady makes a beeline for us. She's probably late 20s, early 30s. She makes a beeline, and, and she starts talking to us, and she's selling, some, she's selling some kind of cosmetic thing. And so normally, we'd just be, you know, in the name of Jesus. But, you know... Um, <laughs> But we didn't, and you know, because we're just leisurely. And so we start talking, and it turns out she's selling products from Israel. Now it's got a soft spot in my heart for Israel, right? And so we've been there a couple times, and so now we find out she, she's actually Jewish. She's Orthodox Jewish, and now I've got a special, you know, connect love for her, you know, this. And, uh, and, she's, and, she, and now she's, uh, she actually lives in Jerusalem. She's only over here a few months of the year to market her product. And, and so now we're talking about Jerusalem, where she lives in Jerusalem, where we've been in Jerusalem, and so we got this connection thing going. And she's just, she's just truly a charming person, winsome, uh, just, you know, fun, energetic, full of life. And Lynn and I just are really connecting with her. We just really like it. And so, so now she wants to show us the product. And so, of course, because we're now best friends, we say, okay. And so, and so she, she shows us this product, and it's a cosmetic product, and I can't tell you what it is because there's a reason why you'll see later. But she, she shows us this cosmetic product, and I don't, you know, what do I know? But Lynn seems to be impressed, and, 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 and I'm pretty impressed as I'm watching. Like, that's, that's amazing what this thing does. That's, I, I'm truly impressed. And, and so, uh, so anyway, but, but we're not impulse buyers. And so, uh, so she, she gets to the end of her, her whole demonstration. She says to Lynn, so, so which one would you like to get? And, and Lynn's not an impulse buyer either. And she says, you know, boy, I really like the product. Very impressed with it, but... Um, I'm not going to, uh, I th- what I like to do is put it on my Christmas list. Great answer. You know, great answer, Lynn. Good job. And so, um, and so, she, sa- so she, she says to, the lady says to, to Lynn, she says, would you mind if I talk with your husband alone for a minute? And Lynn says, fine with me. And uh, so we go over here. And she says, is there anyone else in your life you think might enjoy this product? I, I, I don't really know. And she says, well, because I'm the manager here, and we're closing down, obviously everything's closing up, but I have the authority to make this deal. And so if there is, I would give you two for the price of one. I'm like, really? <laughs> and I said, I think I'll take that deal. And we come back, and she says, he's going to take the deal. And my wife's like, what did you do with my husband? <laughs> is it? And so, so now we're ringing it up, and she says, how do you want to pay? I'll pay a visa. And she's paying. She, says, she turns to me, and she says, do you have any daughters in your life? Yeah. Do you think they would like this product? I don't know. Well, because if you do, it's so late that I would give you three more for the price of one more. Really? I'm thinking, I do have two daughters. I do think they'd probably like this thing. I was kind of lying before. And we got this new friend, we got this new friend that's moving in with us, one of our friends of our daughter, like all three of them could open them the same day. I'll do it. I'll do it. Lynn's looking at me like I've lost my mind. <laughs> I, I'm walking out with five of these cosmetic products. <laughs> now, okay, so, so here's the point of the story. 
nothing against the woman, right? We like the lady, so don't get this wrong. But this is exactly how Satan works in our life. What happened is that we said no. We said no. We don't want it on Christmas, but we, we said no. But she could tell we were not sold on that position. She could tell we liked her, we liked the product. And so what she did is she just kept coming back and coming back to sweeten the deal. And this is exactly what happens. If you are not submitted to God in the area, I'm going to follow God, hell or high water, what do you want me to do? What happened is that Satan just keeps coming back, he keeps coming back, he keeps coming back, working a different angle until he's got us, you see? So here's what this means practically. It means the best time to fight a temptation is the start of a temptation. When Satan comes out of that booth towards you, you just say no and you keep on going. Yeah. I, I can't tell you the product because my daughters, I, I'm giving it to them and they're here. Okay, so. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so look at your note sheet. You got a great quote here from Thomas Akempis. Famous book he wrote back in the, you know, forever ago, 1200s or whatever, Imitation of Christ. Look what he says. You have to be watchful, especially in the beginning of a temptation. You know, when she comes out at the booth. The enemy, the enemy is then more easily overcome if he is not permitted in any way to enter the door of our hearts. But is resisted with outside the gate at his first knock. The longer a man is slow to resist, so much the weaker does he become daily in himself and the enemy stronger against him. You see that? So the only, there's only one good time to fight a temptation. That's on your terms at the beginning of the temptation. It will not get easier the longer you wait. So we've got to fight it right away. Right? Take the stand. All right, number five. Last, last point. The fifth step that we need to take is to never give up. Now, this is important because spiritual warfare is never easy. And Satan is not going to go without a fight. And sometimes it takes a while for us to figure out how to win this particular battle. And so one of the keys to winning is you never give up, even when you fall, okay? Even when you fall. You never give up even when you fall. Because here's what Satan's uh, argument is. We talked about this earlier, is, hey, you may win today, you may win later, but you're not going to keep on winning, so you might as well give up now, just cut to the chase. Uh, But here's why that argument doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work is sin, as we've seen, is self-destructive. Remember, it wages war against our soul. In other words, every time you give in to temptation, it takes a piece of your soul. You become less of the person God made you to be. And so even if you're only winning two out of the three of the battles, it's worth the fight because the, the corrosion is not stealing you as much. Secondly, it's worth the fight because sooner or later you are going to win. You're going to figure this thing out. Why? Because Jesus is in you, and if you're willing to follow these steps I've laid out, you will win. First uh, John chapter 4 says there in your note, the one who is, who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. It's just the truth. You have everything you need. God has provided everything you need to win. You may have not put it all together yet, but everything you need, all the tools are there. Now, here's what happens. What happens is when we fall to an area of temptation, 
what tends to happen is Satan, first of all, tries to get us to fall. And then once he tells us it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Just do it. It's no big deal. And the moment we do it, he says, that is the biggest deal in the world. I can't believe you made that huge mistake. You are such a scumbag. And God doesn't love you, and God doesn't want you on his team. Why don't you just give up? You're not part of this thing. Oh, you think you're a Christian, a Christ follower? Look at you. Would a Christ follower do that? And so the moment he, he changes tactics, the moment we give in. The truth is you know, that we never lose if we keep on getting up. All right? So, so C.S. Lewis, he's writing a letter to a friend of his uh, about temptation. Apparently, Lewis struggled with some anger issues in his life. And so here's what he writes on your note sheet. He says, I know all about the despair of overcoming chronic temptation. No amount of false will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But I love this. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels are out, and clean clothes are in the cupboard. The only fatal thing uh, is to lose one's temper and to give it up, just to give up. He said, it's when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It's the very sign of his presence. Now, what he says about anger is true of any temptation, any area. It's only when we give up that we lose. Here's the truth of the matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, he doesn't love you more on your good days than your bad days. That's the truth. He is always for you. He is never against you. He is pulling for you in this battle that we have. And when you fall, his heart breaks because of the wounds on your soul. But he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is with you every step of the way. And so when you fall, what it means is never forget. Yeah, you might be muddy. You might be tattered. But you just need to get on home as quickly as possible. Why? Because the bathroom's ready. The towels are out. The, the clean clothes are in the cupboard. The hot water's on. He's ready for you, Right? Because he's, he's for us, he's not against us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, thank you what you're teaching us week by week as we talk about this battle that we're in. And Father, we pray that uh, whatever area of temptation we're facing, whether it's a temptation to discouragement and despair, whether it's a temptation to some kind of sin of the flesh, whether it's a temptation to pride or fame or anger or revenge, whatever the thing is, We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take these steps, to understand the tactics of what we're up against, and most of all, to understand that it's always a lie. It's always a lie, and that these desires are there to wage war against our soul. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as commander of the Lord's army to fight this battle well, that we would be victorious, and we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, we have these welcome desserts at our house for new people, and try to share a little bit about the church who we are, where we're going, and one of the things I always tell them is that, that we want to be a supernatural church. We want to be a part of God's movement, what he's doing, and one thing I often share is that, you know, that every other religion in the world doesn't really matter with Buddhism or Hinduism or Mormonism or whatever they um, that every other religion, basically, the message is, here's what you need to do in life, now go do it. Christianity is the only one has a unique message. It says, here's what you're supposed to do in life, and there is no way you could ever do it. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Doesn't that feel good? It's like, oh, we knew that. 
Yeah, and so it's a message of a supernatural relationship with God where he comes and changes us from the inside out. And it's a process, it's a journey, and we stumble along the way, and that's why God's mercy is ever fresh. But we're being changed from the inside out. You know, he started the day with a passage from 1 Peter 2. I want to end the day with from 2 Peter. Listen to what he says. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness, to be like him, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. And through these, he's given us some very great and precious promises. We looked at those today, didn't we? He's always with us. He'll never give us more than we can bear. He'll always show us the way out. It says he's given us these great and precious promises. It's through them you might participate in the divine nature, become like God, and escape the corruption in this world caused by those evil desires we talked about, the the fallen desires. Destroy us. God has given us everything we need to succeed if you're a follower of Jesus. Let me mention this too. Some of you here today, like we all deal with temptation, but some of you today are dealing with a major temptation in your life, something that's threatening to destroy your life. Your life is revolves around it. You know what I'm talking about uh, if it's you. And I want to encourage you. We have an amazing ministry here on Friday nights. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And it's a, it's a tremendous ministry for anyone who's dealing with a hurt, a habit, a hang-up that's really kind of immobilizing your life. It's really kind of ca- causing you to, to limp uh, in your life. And, and there's some neat brothers and sisters, about over 100 people that meet. It's well-organized. It's well-run. Just to come along and to grow together. And so this may be your way out. And if you've been out trying on your own to beat this temptation and you just keep failing, this may be what the Holy Spirit saying, this is your way out. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. And this week, may the Lord be with you. And may you experience His grace and His power in your life. May you learn his love that he is always with you on your best days and your worst days, that he is praying for you, we're told in Romans 8. He prays for you constantly for your success, that his spirit lives inside of you. It's calling out, Abba, Father, show, and, and praying to the Father that he would meet you exactly at your point of need. And so everything that you need in life, you have. And may this be a week that you understand that in new dimensions, in new ways, and you begin to fight and win this battle just a little bit better because of what you learned here this weekend. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. Next week, we wrap up this series with our final message on the war. I hope you can join us. See you then. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm